Let's open up with the word of prayer and then we'll turn it over to Seth. Lord, thank you so much uh, for just being an amazing God. And Lord, for loving us, for forgiving us, for Lord, just setting us on high. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the rock that you are in our lives. And we pray tonight, once again, would be just an encouragement to these folks who took the time to come out on a Tuesday evening. Lord, may the worship and the Word of God just lift our hearts and encourage us, Lord, as we leave, uh, so that we might just have more encouragement from you, more strength from you, Lord, to face the rest of this week, whatever it holds. Lord, thank you for Jesus, and we are here tonight to just lift His name on high. Lord, go with us throughout this hour. May this not be, Lord, done in any human strength, but Lord, may this be done in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to try to encourage you again tonight in the Word of God. And here's the passage we're going to be looking at tonight. I think we're just going to zero in on four verses tonight. Okay, So we're going to slow down a little bit. And here's what I'd just like to encourage you to do. No matter what you're navigating in your life, what you know, maybe you're struggling with or somebody you know what they're struggling with, Here's a good set of verses to just commit to meditating on each and every day. So I'd just like to throw this out. If The next seven days, each day for the next seven days, if you would just meditate upon the truth of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to get into that tonight, but I just want to read it all together before we go back and really try to pull out some stuff that we think would be an encouragement to you no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord or some information that you can have then to encourage someone else. The writer of Hebrews writes, Therefore, based upon what I have shared with you, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, We must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of Him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. You have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed in your struggle against sin. This passage we're going to be looking at tonight, and again, each week can stand on its own. So again, I encourage you, you don't have to be here every week, come as your schedule allows. But we have been going through the book of Hebrews, And this message tonight is just a continuation of our whole study of the book of Hebrews, which is really about encouragement to persevere, to endure, to hang in there, to keep on keeping on. Do not grow weary. You know, uh, continue to gain the strength that God gives you to press forward each and every day, making progress no matter what trials and obstacles and things that you're doing and going through in your life. And that's exactly where these four verses, they just zero in on that. Because if you were with us the last couple of weeks, we spent two weeks in Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 was just this great record of all these Old Testament saints 
who trusted God at certain times in their life and what God was able to do with them and through them and all of that because they just trusted in God. And so that's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, lest we think, and sometimes we do, though that was for them, that's not for me, that's why he writes verse 1 where he says, Therefore... You guys have to remember that you are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. All the people that I talked about in Hebrews 11. And that cloud of witnesses is witnessing to the fact that if they could do these great things by just trusting in God, then you and I can too. And we've got to come to a point in our life where we truly embrace that and acknowledge that and believe that. So many times it's like, well, God could do great things through Moses and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and all these people that Hebrews chapter 11, but he couldn't do that through me. No, 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 the writer of Hebrews says. He's writing to first century Hebrews. That's why the book's called Hebrews. And they're struggling right now. And he's saying, your ancestors, your ancestors in the Old Testament, they were no different than you. They struggled just like you did. But when they placed their faith in God, God was able to do great things and supply them, as we talked about last week, with a strength. Because that's what faith can do. It can give us a strength to just keep on pressing forward and keep on moving forward in our relationship with God. So he's saying, you've got this great cloud of witnesses, people down through history who could point to the fact that I just trusted God and look at what God did in my life. And it doesn't even have to be the heroes of the Old Testament. You can go back. I can tell you about people in my family who inspired me and who were just a motivation that God gave me because of their trust and faith in God and how that inspired me. We can be the same thing. You see, I believe that God is already recording up there in heaven uh, another list of people who put their faith and trust in God and what He could do through them. And you may be already on that list. Uh, something that, that you did to trust God and, and your faith to encourage somebody else. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying here in the very first verse. He's saying, here's how you can continue to run the race, if you will. Remember others trusted in God and what God could do through them, and He can do it through you. In fact, at the end of chapter 11, he even reminds us, listen, God has provided something better for us, even over all those Old Testament saints. So what he's really saying is, if those Old Testament saints could trust God, then you and I have all the more reason to trust God because we're on this side of the cross. Jesus hadn't even come yet. He was promised, but He hadn't even come yet. So they were looking ahead to the cross, but Jesus hadn't even come. We look backward to the cross. We know Jesus has come. We know it. We know. So we look backward. Plus, we've got the Bible that they didn't have. We've got the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit that they didn't have. We've got an entity called the church that they didn't have. We've got all these wonderful resources that they didn't have. So if they could trust God and put their faith in God and see God work through their lives, the writer of Hebrews would say to his audience, how much more can you and I do that? Because we've got even more going for us in the New Testament age than they did in the Old Testament. Don't let Satan or your neighbor or anybody else tell you that you can't rise up to the same level of faith that the Old Testament saints did. God's Word would contradict that. God would say, no, you and I can rise up to that. And these witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11 are witnesses to that fact. They should be a constant source of encouragement to us 
to keep on trusting and to see what God can do. Now, I want to just drop down to the end of verse 1 because here's really what I want to start to pick it up tonight. The writer of Hebrews now takes us from this sort of hall of fame of faith and continues that sort of sports thing and he enters us into this great arena. And he was very familiar with the games of the, called the Smithian Games or the Olympic Games. And they had this massive arena where the runners would run. And he is comparing now this life that we live to this great race. And at the end of verse 1 of chapter 12, he encourages us to run with endurance this race that is set out for us. One of the first things I see there is he's reminding us that this race we call life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. And that's why we need endurance. That's why we need perseverance. Because we can get like those runners where we can hit a wall in our life. Where we've already run like 20 miles and our body is saying, no, you ain't running anymore, you know. And you've got maybe in a full marathon six more miles to go and you've got to break through that barrier. You've got to get what runners call that, that kick or that second wind in order to keep on persevering and keep on enduring. That's why the uh, book of Hebrews was written. And he's saying, so compare your life to this race. And don't worry about so much how you started out in the Christian life. Focus more on how you finish. Because it's not really as important how you and I start out the Christian life as it is how we finish. That's why I encourage you. There's so many people, well, you know, I've blown it. I made a lot of mistakes. Or I, I didn't really start committing my life to Christ till such and such a time and whatever. I said, okay, okay. But don't focus on that. Focus on what you and I can become after that fact. Focus on, you, you, the enemy's going to try to get you on, you know, focusing on the other stuff. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 don't look at it that way. Focus on where you could become and where you could go. And so he says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's not a sprint. There's a lot of people that I know who started out the Christian life like gangbusters. Man, they were ahead of the pack. They were ahead of everybody. They got saved, they gave their life to Jesus Christ, and boom, they were out there. It was like, whoa, where did they go? But after a year, or five years, or ten years, they're not even in the race anymore. Man, they just started out real well, but they didn't finish really well. God wants us not only to start out well, if that's where we are, but He wants us more importantly to finish well. And in the book of Hebrews, especially in these four verses here, He gives us sort of the, the way that we can finish well in the race that God has given us. Now, I love this word endurance. Because again, it takes endurance and perseverance to be a long distance runner. To be effective. To be someone who can finish well and not just start well. And I love this word endurance in the Greek language. It's the Greek word hupomone. It means this. It means facing that which is difficult triumphantly, a vibrant hope. Facing that which is difficult triumphantly with a vibrant hope. That's endurance. See, a lot of people, we use the word endurance in the English language and it's almost like, yeah, I'm just endurance. I'm just holding on. I'm just, you know, it's almost a passive thing, too. It's just like, I'm just going to sit down. I'm just going to endure this. 
It's like a grim resignation. It's just, that's eh, just the way it is, and I'm just going to grit my teeth and get through it. That is not the Greek word for endurance. Because with God in the equation, we can face even the difficulties of life triumphantly because the Bible teaches us that even the pain of life, even those negative things that come into our life, whether they're by the hand of someone else, or God is so amazing and so great that He can turn even those bad things that come into our lives and He can bring something good out of it. That's how then I can face even the difficulties of life triumphantly because even if something bad happens, I serve a God who is so awesome and so great and loves me so much that He can take that bad, yucky stuff and He can build something good out of it. That's why we can run with endurance. That's why we can keep on keeping on even when we feel like giving up. So he says, run with endurance the race set out for us. And the reason the race course is already set, that phrase simply means we, we already know where the finish line is. See, obviously an effective runner needs to know, okay, where do I finish? You know, because I'm not as concerned about where I'm starting. I know where I'm starting. I need to know where I'm supposed to finish. And God's already given us the finish line. The finish line is basically found in the very next phrase. It's Jesus. Jesus is our finish line. The Bible says that the goal of our salvation, uh, Romans 8.29, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To become as much like Jesus Christ as we can be as human beings. That's, that's the finish line. That's the goal. So again, that we, know where the, we know the setting of the race. We know where the finish line is. And that's why then he says, so keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. So, as we run this race, as we run this marathon called life, first of all, we need to gather encouragement constantly from those who've went before us. That's what the first part of verse 1 says. Go back to those people, whether they're in the Bible or whether they're in your family or whether they're in your church or whatever, and gain strength from the way they trusted God and, and their faith and how they were able to get through and keep reminding yourself and telling yourself that if God can do it through them, He can do it through me. And don't believe the lie of Satan or others that God could do it through them, but He couldn't do it through you. No, you believe what the Bible says. If God can do it through them, He can do it through you. He can help you to endure. I don't care what you and I face. God can help you run this race with the endurance that faces difficulties triumphantly with all kinds of hope, a vibrant hope. But here's the next piece of advice, verse 1. He also says, oh, and by the way, any runner knows that the most effective way to keep running long distances is by getting rid of anything that's going to encumber me. So notice he says in verse 1, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Runners don't like weights. They may use them to train with, but once the race starts, they try to get rid of everything that's going to weigh them down. So the obvious thing here is I'm going to start out with first is obviously the Bible would say get rid of the sin in your life as much as you possibly can because any kind of sin is going to weigh us down. In fact, notice he, he uh, uses this terminology, the sin that clings so closely. It's like I, I can't get rid of it, you know. 
Uh, if you want a good book, and I apologize, this is not in our bookstore yet, but I'm going to recommend that we get a couple copies. It's How to Say No to a Stubborn Habit by Erwin Lutzer. If you know of somebody that's just, they just, there's this, there's this thing in their life that they just can't seem to overcome, that they try, they try, and it just, they keep falling back into the same pattern. It's a great book. How to Say No to a Stubborn Because sometimes that, that sin gets a hold of us. And it clings so closely that we just, wow, we have a hard time shaking it. But we can through the power of God. And that's what we've got to realize. We can lay it aside. God's Word wouldn't tell us to lay something aside if we couldn't lay it aside, if we couldn't get rid of it. So God is saying, remember that sin can get a hold of your life and it wants to get a hold of your life, but it doesn't have to dominate your life and get a hold of your life. In fact, keep your finger there. I just remembered this passage. It's really cool. Back in the book of Genesis. Go all the way back to the first book of the Bible. To Genesis chapter 4. It's the story of Cain and Abel. God told Cain and Abel to bring sacrifices. And if you know the story, Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice. Cain did not bring an acceptable sacrifice. And I'm not going to get into what was the difference between the two sacrifices. That's a whole other study, okay? But here's what God tells Cain in Genesis 4, verse 6. After God had rejected Cain's sacrifice and accepted Abel's, his brothers, obviously he was a little ticked. He got angry. He was a little jealous. He was a little envious because God was pleased with his brother's sacrifice, but not with his. I will say this. Clearly what happened here was God gave them his word and Cain sort of rejected God's word and Abel obeyed God's Word. And that was the only difference, okay? Now, notice what God says in verse 6. This is really important. Why are you angry and why is your expression downcast? Is it not true that if you do what is right, you will be fine? In other words, Cain, if you'd have just done what I told you to do. Sounds like a parent, doesn't it? If you would have just done what I told you to do, everything would have been okay, but you didn't. So, now notice what God says. But if you do not do what is right... Sin is crouching at the door. God gives us a picture of sin like this lion. And we know that's a very common metaphor because in 1 Peter 5, 7 or 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. God says sin crouches at the door. It's just waiting for you and I to open up the door of our life just a little bit. And if we open it up a little bit, sin can come in there and really take a hold and take us further, deeper than we ever wanted to go. That's why people, you know, people don't become uh, addicts overnight. It starts out with something little in their life and all of a sudden they have this addictive behavior that just totally has consumed and paralyzed them. It happens over time. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 5.22 that sin is almost like a boa constrictor. It says that you and I can be wrapped around uh, like a boa constrictor and just tied up in all kinds of knots. You know, at first, playing with the snake might seem pretty cool, but eventually it's like, oh my golly, this thing's got a hold of me and I can't get rid of it. That's why the Bible urges us to get rid of that sin and not allow it to take such a hold of our life because the more we open up the door, it's right there ready to crouch and pounce and get more of a hold of our life. 
And then if we allow it a little bit more of a hold, it's going to gain more of a hold and more of a hold and more of a hold. I shared with you guys before my personal struggle in battling anxiety and how at one time in my life I opened up that door to, to anxiety and how it took on a life of its own and pretty soon my life was completely consumed and paralyzed by anxiety. That's what sin can do. As I've shared with you though before, through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, I overcame it. And I am able to look people in the eye and say, you and I can overcome anything if we will just again allow God's strength to do it. So, notice what then God continues to say. It desires to dominate you. That's what sin wants to do. It wants to dominate our life. It wants to come in a little bit and then gain a foothold, and then totally consume us. But you, God says to Cain, must subdue it. Now the reason why the timing of this was so important is because God knew what was beginning to happen in, in Cain's heart. He knew that Cain was starting to get some bad feelings towards his brother, and if those bad feelings, which were just the start of it, weren't checked, guess what was going to happen? He was eventually going to kill his brother. See, that's where God says, you know, you've got to be careful how these, these seeds of anger and bitterness and all that kind of stuff starts out. Because it might only start out like this big, but then it can, it can blossom and flower into something much bigger. So he's telling Cain, check it at the door. Don't let it get any further in your life. Like the writer of Hebrews, you want to continue to endure and run the race and be in there and not be weighed down? Get rid of the sin. When God's Spirit talks to you about something that's hindering you and running your race and continuing to persevere and endure, deal with it. Deal with it. Confess it. By the power of God, lay it aside. Then notice what happens. Verse 8. What happens? Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. See, God knew what, was, what could happen. God knew what would happen because sin is crouching at Cain's door. And if Cain just allowed sin to come in a little bit, it was going to totally dominate him and take over his life and cause him to go down a road that he probably never dreamed when he just first became a little angry and envious and jealous of his brother. So that's why the writer of Hebrews says, if you go back then to Hebrews 12, get rid of the sin that clings so closely. The next one though isn't it's a little bit more subtle. He also says get rid of the weight. And the reason why that's significant is because a weight in our life doesn't have to be sinful. Listen to me, my friends. A weight in our life could be something good. But that good thing could be still weighing us down from running the race of our life with endurance. So that's why sometimes we even have to make choices and determinations and things. Sometimes we even have to lay some good things down because those good things are actually weighing us down. That's why he separates sin and a weight and says they're two different things. The sin is obvious. The weights sometime in our life aren't as obvious. That's why I tell even Christians, you know, they have such a desire to serve the Lord. And that's great. We want Christians to serve the Lord. That's how you and I can, you know, become so fulfilled in our relationship with God. But there is such a thing as being overly involved in service. And in a sense, doing so many good things that we're actually being weighed down. 
And there's a lot of Christians out there today. It's like, yeah, I love God. Yeah, I'm running the race. Yeah. How many things are you involved in? Well, besides my full-time job and my family, I think I'm doing about 12 other ministries and stuff. Oh, really? 12? Yeah. You want to add a few more to that? You know? And they're just, and what they need to do is they need to lay some weights aside because even those good things are weighing them down. So the writer of Hebrews says, guys, come on, let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Let's keep trucking. In order to do that, be encouraged by the Old Testament saints and all those who've gone before. They can do it. You and I can do it as well. Lay aside that sin. Lay aside that weight. And run with endurance the race that is set out for us. One other thing, and then I'll open it up. Verse 2. The most important thing, besides looking at all those examples, and even besides laying aside the sin and the weight, is to be personally inspired every day by the example of Jesus. In fact, how I like to say it is, Jesus is more than an example. Jesus should be our inspiration. He should inspire us to continue to endure and persevere. And that's why he uses Jesus here in this passage. Notice he says, I want you to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Wow. I mean, that's that's enough right there. If I kept my eyes on Jesus every day, I'm talking about me, Jeff Royce, rather than looking around at everybody else or looking behind me at things in the past, or whatever, I'd be so much better off. Because again, we all know again from the racing metaphor that any kind of runner is not going to be effective in in running the race if they're looking around at the people in the field and looking at who's behind them and what's behind them. No, you've got to keep your focus on what's ahead. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these folks. I know you're discouraged, but here's something that can personally inspire you is Jesus Christ Himself. So keep your eyes fixed on Him. Now here's the word in the original language is this. It literally means not just to to turn to Christ, it means to turn away from everything else. Very descriptive. Because in order to really totally focus on Jesus, obviously that implies I've got to turn my attention and focus away from everything else and just focus on Him. Focus on Him. That may be the single hardest thing to do every day as a Christian. To keep my eyes just on Jesus and not on other people and the things of my past and everything. To keep my eyes just on Jesus. That's why I like the acronym FAITH. FAITH stands for forsaking all, I take Him. Forsaking all, I take Him. FAITH. I look away from everyone and everything else and I just look to Jesus. Why? Notice, He's the pioneer and perfecter. He's the one who started the race and He's the one who finished it. And now from now on, through the rest of verse 4, He's going to use Jesus and some of the events of the life of Jesus to inspire us once again in our race we call life. Alright, comments, questions, thoughts, tomatoes. I, my personal opinion is a great question. He says, well, the second greatest command is to love your neighbor. So how, how do I focus completely on Jesus and, and still incorporate that? 
My personal understanding of that, and that's a great question, Ron, is that, that the only way I can truly love my neighbor as myself is to keep myself totally focused on Jesus. That to me, where we go wrong is we still focus too much on other people without keeping our focus on Jesus. And even in serving and loving other people, it can begin to get burdensome because we're not doing it primarily for Jesus. We're doing it for us or we're doing it for them. And God would say, no, if you get into ministry and service and you're serving others because of how it makes you feel, that's going to wane after a while. And some people need to be needed. You know, the reason they get involved in ministry and whatever is because they, they like to feel like they're needed. So that's why they do it. But that, that's not going to endure. That, that's going to be a few months, maybe even a few years, and that's going to wane. And then some people serve because they truly love other people, but their focus instead of Jesus is other people. So they serve other people, and as long as those people are patting them on the back and giving them accolades and encouragement and whatever to serve, they're okay. But if they come across some people in their life and they don't get any thank yous, they don't get any appreciation, all of a sudden it's like, I'm not serving anymore. And that's why the Bible says when you serve, you primarily have to serve the Lord. You, you don't serve people. I mean, you're serving people, but in serving people, you're ultimately doing it for the Lord. Because if you and I start serving people for what we're going to get back from people, that's the wrong focus. That's the wrong motivation. Because that's only going to last for a while. And what ends up happening, like I said, is you, you have a few bad experiences with people who maybe didn't show the appreciation back to you that you feel you deserve for what you did. And you stop serving. So I think the focus still needs to be on Jesus because it's only when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and turn away from everything else can we truly give ourselves to other people knowing that the primary thing that's driving us and sustaining us and strengthening us to serve other people is by keeping my eyes focused on Jesus. As I go back to all the time, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, what? What's the next phrase? I shall not want. So, the reason I can be freed in my life to serve other people is because I'm following my shepherd. And my shepherd's taking care of my need. So, I don't need to look to somebody else to meet my need. The need of my life is being met by my shepherd, which frees me then to truly give myself to other people without looking to them to do for me what they can't do anyway. They, they can't fulfill that in my life, only God can. And that's why people go through life, and if they never find Jesus Christ, that's why they go from one relationship to another and from one thing to another. Because they've got this void in their life, this spiritual void that they're trying to fill, and they keep going, bumping from one thing to another, trying to fill it, and it never does. And then when they find Jesus, it's like, oh, wow. Okay, I get it now. That, that thing I've been searching for, that, that long, that it's finally been met in that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's a great question. Anything else? Okay. Verse 2. For the joy set out for Him, He endured the cross. So again, if we ever get to the point where we're like, well, Jesus didn't have to endure anything. He didn't have to go through a rough time in his life like I'm going through. Remember the cross? 
Yeah. And, and here's the key, too. Notice that the Bible says, oh, and by the way, there was something that Jesus knew was th- through that obedience to going to the cross that He was going to gain in spite of going through such a terrible time, and that was the joy. You see, the Bible teaches that even in difficult times, There's joy in being obedient to what God's asking us to do, even if it's the hard thing to do. There's there's a joy in knowing I did it right. I did what God wanted me to do. Was it easy? No, it was downright hard. But because I obeyed God and I did it, there's a joy in my life that, I'm telling you, it's unexplainable. There's nothing better than knowing you did exactly what God wanted you to do. And you may be persecuted for it. You may be suffering for it. You may be going through a difficult time. But you know down deep that there's that gift of His joy in being obedient to His Word that nothing else in this world can give you. That was true of Jesus as well. Plus, this also means that Jesus was able to look beyond the cross. It wasn't just about, as we said last week, the here and now and living for the here and now. It was about looking past the cross, knowing that He was going to be raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God the Father, and this wasn't going to end this way. There was joy ahead. In fact, the Bible teaches in the book of Psalms, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. So Jesus knew that, yeah, He was going to have to go through the cross, but after the cross... Oh my goodness, the joy that was going to await him. That's what you and I, you and I have to have that kind of mentality. First of all, we've got to realize that no matter what God is calling us to do, even if it's something difficult, by being obedient to his word, he will set a joy in our life that nothing else can give us. And that that cross that he's asking us to bear is not a permanent cross. It's a temporary cross like Christ's cross was. And on the other side of that cross, there's some cool things that await us. And maybe they're even cool on this side of glory. Maybe it's a greater character, a greater strength of character. Maybe it's a a relative or a friend who's been brought to Christ because of what God allowed me to go through and navigate it in a great way. I don't know what that looks like, but there's something on the other side of that cross that I need to keep focused on. That's what Jesus did. For the joy that was set out for Him, He endured the cross. See, this is why I want us to meditate on these verses. Because I think that these verses, after you meditate on them and reread them every day for seven days, they can provide a tremendous encouragement for you and I. Notice, Jesus disregarded the shame of the cross. The cross was shameful. The only people that were crucified on a, on a Roman cross were common criminals. And so Jesus was just like this. He was perfect God, sinless. But He endured the shame of being crucified amongst criminals, with criminals, and as a criminal because of His love for you and me. But He disregarded it. Why? Because He knew that through that shame and through that cross, there was joy. And not only that, but I think He was able to look past the cross and to see you and to see me and know that, you know what, this is, this, is, this is not easy. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're going to in just a few minutes. It wasn't easy for him to go to the cross. Because primarily he knew that that 
relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit was going to be broken for the very only time in history. But He did it because He knew you and I were after that cross as well. He knew that one day, looking down the quarters of time, that you were going to come to faith in Him. And so He was willing to endure that for you and for me. What are we willing to endure in our race of life to maybe see other people come to Jesus Christ? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, guys, don't give up. I know it's hard, but there's other Hebrews and maybe even Gentiles who are looking at you, considering Jesus Christ, considering the worth of His claims and the power of, of, of His life and all of this. And maybe, depending on how you're navigating that difficult time in your life, could, you know, that could maybe pull them towards... Again, not that we're responsible. Okay, they're going to be responsible, but we could be a great encouragement to them. So he's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. Something we don't do enough of. Think of him. Consider him. The word in the original language just literally means to just... Meditate on Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again throughout the day. Just think about Jesus. And part of that is if I'm thinking about Him, then guess where my eyes are? I'm probably going to be focused on Him. It sort of all ties together. And we all know the Bible teaches that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What we think about is so important. Remember Pastor Lynn's series of messages where he had those three screens up front? What I believe affects my decisions, and then my decisions have different outcomes, and it all goes back to what, the way I think. That's why the number one book on our website that I encourage people to get is Telling Yourself the Truth, because that's what it's all about. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm believing the lies of other people, if I'm believing the lies of Satan, if I'm believing my own lies, then it's going to affect my life and the outcomes of my life. But if I'm basing my life on God's truth, then I'm going to have different outcomes. And so, i got to think properly. And part of that is to think of Him. And think about Him specifically in this context, who endured. He faced a difficult situation triumphantly with a vibrant hope. In fact, I love it. They go out to arrest Jesus. And instead of Jesus hiding in the garden, you know, okay guys, let's hide. The Roman guards are coming. Let's get out of here. Jesus didn't do that. You know the story. Jesus comes out. He's actually in front of His disciples. Instead of His disciples like hiding Him or whatever, Jesus meets Judas and the Roman guard that has been sent to arrest Him. And Jesus says, Who are you here to arrest? I mean, he, he's, the one in the, he's the one controlling the whole scene. Who are you here to arrest? And the reason He said that is because He promised the Father... In John chapter 17, that he would protect those who came to follow him, meaning his 12 disciples. And he wanted to make sure that his 12 disciples were not arrested that night, but only him. Who are you here to come to arrest tonight? Jesus. All right, then here I am. I'm not running away from you. I'm facing this. I'm facing this lion. I'm facing this difficulty. Because I know God, the Father, is going to be with me. That's the way we need to live life. He endured such opposition. You ever felt like you were being opposed at every turn in your life and that you had people just hitting you from this direction and that one? Think about Jesus. He also endured opposition against Himself by sinners. And see, that's what throws Jesus into a whole different category because 
yeah, I may suffer unjustly at times in my life, but I'm still a sinner. I'm a saved sinner, but I'm still a sinner. I'm not perfect. And sometimes I'm suffering because of my own stupidity or bad choices or whatever, and sometimes I suffer at the hands of others, but I'm far from perfect. Jesus was the perfect, sinless Son of God and allowed Himself to be abused and tortured and hung on a cross as we saw depicted so well this past weekend here at Cornerstone. He endured that. But notice why He endured that. One of the reasons, the end of verse 3, so that you and I may not grow weary in our souls and give up. Wow. See, that's why I love the book of Hebrews. It's such a book of encouragement. And that's why I said it's called the fifth gospel. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sort of tell us what Jesus did for us. The book of Hebrews tells us what Jesus is doing for us now. And one of the things the book of Hebrews reminds us of is Jesus Christ didn't just die on that cross to take away our sin and so provide forgiveness and so we can ever... Jesus Christ died on that cross and went through all that so that that could be an inspiration and a motivation for you and I in our everyday Christian life. So that when those days come that we are growing weary and we are feeling like giving up, we start thinking about Jesus. We start putting our eyes back on Jesus and somehow, some way, we get through the day. I've told you before, there have been days in my life and I'm sure there have been days in your life where you didn't feel like getting out of bed, you didn't feel like facing the day, you just felt like, I just want life to be over. And all I prayed was, and I don't, sometimes I don't even remember what I prayed. Maybe I didn't even pray anything. And at the end of the day, I found myself, I got through that day. And I look back on that day and go, how did I get through that day? And it's almost like then in a gentle whisper, the Holy Spirit says, I got you through the day. And I'll get you through the next one. Let's just take this one day at a time. You may be weary. You may be ready to give up on some situation, some circumstance, some relationship, whatever. You may be navigating a very difficult time, or you know of somebody who is. This passage is for them and for you and for me. It's for all of us. Because we're all going to be there at times where we begin to get weary and feel like giving up. Keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 12 and go back to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. I've shared this verse with you before, but it certainly is applicable here tonight in looking at Hebrews 12.3. Galatians 6, verse 9. Galatians 6, verse 9. He's using the agricultural metaphors here of reaping and sowing like a farmer. And of course, we just went through the seed packets that Lynn gave us about, you know, who can we give those seeds to and all of that kind of stuff. So we... we can really tie into this tonight. Notice what he says in verse 9. Because we're out there reaping and sowing, and just like a farmer, there's times where we can get weary, he says, so we must not grow weary in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not give up. You see, there's a point where we just have to keep enduring and persevering. The farmer goes out, the farmer throws his seed in there, he plows his field, throws his seed in there, but he has to pray and depend upon God to bring the sunshine and the rain and all of that. And he's got to trust. He's got to have faith. That's why the farmer is such a great illustration of the Christian life. I do what I can do. And I leave the rest up to God. I sow the seed. 
I plow the field, but I can't bring the sun out and I can't make it rain. And there's times where there's years where the crop is lean. But I can't give up just because I have one year of a bad crop. Just like some people, it's like they have, you know, they have a bad month. Maybe a couple bad months. Maybe a bad year. I can remember a couple years ago, my wife and I and our family, we had just a whole bad year. We got at the end of the year and go, well, glad that year's over. Let's hope this next year's better. Because that year was just like, let's just wipe that year off the calendar. That was a bad year. And sometimes you go through seasons like that in your life. The Bible says, hang in there. Keep enduring. Keep... Don't grow weary in continuing to press forward in your relationship. Because you're going to reap if you don't give up. And some Christians I have known who gave up just... They dropped out of the race just a little bit early. If they'd have just, they'd have just hung in there another day even, another week, another month. Wow! But they just... Yep, they just... You know. It's like getting up to a certain point in your life and there's that huge opportunity and do I take it, do I not? Just like this church. And the church said, yeah, we're going to move on and create more space and... What's God do? He brings in so many people. We're out of space again. Anyway, we'll get to that. That's a whole other passage there. Back to Hebrews chapter 12. Because I told Seth, I wanted him to come and close us with a song tonight to really end again on just wrapping this all up. So look at verse 4. He also reminds us, you have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed in your struggle against sin. Now, most people take this just simply to mean you haven't died for your faith yet. You, you haven't, hey, you, it might be bad, but there are people who were martyred for their faith and, you know, they never gave up even to the point of death. And certainly that's a, that's a very plausible interpretation. But I'd like to show you another one tonight to consider. Go back to the Gospel of Luke. To Luke's Gospel. In fact, you can... Don't even have to keep your finger there in Hebrews. We're going to end with this. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Because this ties in with the whole cross and what Jesus endured. Besides the encouragement to run the race with endurance, of looking at those who've trusted in God before us, of laying aside the sin and the weight and then being inspired by the personal example of Jesus Christ, who endured what He endured, I think prayer, I think prayer is huge. You show me a Christian who's committed to prayer, and prayer is a vital discipline in their life, and I'll show you a Christian who, in spite of the difficulties of life, is somehow enduring. You show me a Christian who really struggles in their prayer life and very rarely prays, and I'll show you a Christian who's probably really struggling to keep up. Prayer. Prayer. I can't emphasize it enough. Because it's in our prayer that God strengthens us in our prayer life. Notice the example of Jesus that He gave to His disciples. Chapter 22 of Luke, beginning at verse 39. Then Jesus went out and made His way as He customarily did to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed Him. When He came to the place, He said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation, because He knew what was coming. 
He knew the next day that He was going to be arrested, that He was going to go to the cross, and that they were going to be tempted to turn their back on Him and go, I don't know that guy. I don't want to be caught up in this. And so Jesus says, here's one of the ways that you can remain strong against the temptation that's coming. Pray. He went away from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and He prayed. Father, if You are willing, take this cup away from Me, yet not My will, but Yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to Him and strengthened Him, and in His anguish He prayed more earnestly, and His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I can honestly say there have been very few times where I have prayed earnestly, I mean really earnestly in my life. And there's never been a time where I've prayed so earnestly and fervently that I sweat drops of blood. But Jesus did. And maybe, just maybe, the writer of Hebrews, when he is saying in verse 4 of chapter 12, you've not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin and trying to gain strength to stand up to it, that he also maybe could have been referring to the practice of prayer. Because notice verse 45. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And notice why they were sleeping. Why were they tired? They were exhausted from grief. You see, they had allowed, like many of us do, the cares and the anxiety of Jesus going away and what's going to happen to us and what's going to happen to Him and what's our future hold and all that. And they got so caught up with the cares of their life and the worry and worry and worry, they exhausted themselves. They were so emotionally exhausted that they became physically exhausted. And we've all been there. Where we have worried ourselves and, and just totally got ourselves so worked up that we are physically shot because we have emotionally just allowed ourselves to go somewhere where God says, don't go there. Pray about it instead. Cast all your care upon me because I care for you. You're carrying that weight on your back that I never intended for you to carry. So take it off and throw it on me in your prayer time. So he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. And one of the temptations of our life is to grow weary, to quit, to lose heart, to throw in the towel, to give up and say, I'm quitting, that's it. I've tried, you know, I'm trying my best and I keep failing, whatever it is. And Satan can take our failings and instead of saying, okay, I fell down again, but by God's grace... I'm going to get back up again and I'm going to keep on running. I'm not going to let my failing this last time get me down and get me discouraged. See, sin will pounce on that. Satan will pounce on that. But with the truth of God's Word, we can continually be encouraged. I don't know what you folks are dealing with in your life, but I know this. We have a God who is a constant source of encouragement and inspiration to us. Let's look to Him in this next week and in the weeks ahead so that we may not grow weary and give up.